This is a Momentum Media production. Nerd alert! Property Nerds, <laughs> the home for data-driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold markets, latest headlines and trends. It's the Property Nerds, and we're back again for the last episode before we head into Christmas. So just for everyone who's tuned into this last 12 months, I want to say a massive thank you. Um, that's me here, Arjun, head of research at Investigate Buyers Agency and co-host of the Property Nerds podcast, and my fellow co-host, Lee Paliwal, director of Hills Finance. Awesome. Well, Lee, I know uh, heading into Christmas, um, there's a lot of, I guess, time off for people. There's a lot of wondering, pondering. Then there's the New Year's gym goers like me who go there for like a week or two, and then all of a sudden it's a uh, New Year, new me, and then maybe it doesn't last. But this year, we're hoping for that to last a little bit better, right? So, what are we? What are we up to for the New Year's break? Uh, we're literally going to Thailand for a fitness retreat, which will be a nice. Instead of uh, we're trading the Christmas cake for, I guess, a bit of multi and I don't know noodle soup or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> any, anyone who's a UFC fan knows how much of a, or maybe doesn't know, but anyone who's a a property nerds fan knows how much of a UFC fan I am. So this is that one time in my life where I'm going to be able to convert video game roundhouse kicks to real life kicks in Muay Thai. So I can't wait to soak up that experience. But what's Your first time, not my first time. Yeah. A fun Thanks. fact, actually yeah, fun, fun fact, could reveal this to all the listeners. Lee is a bit of a badass in her own right. So <laughs> she is a black belt in Taekwondo. So, um, yeah, so not going to be so her. I'm going to brush the dust off. This, uh, <laughs> so no, no uh, first time kicking around for you, but definitely be that for me. And I'm pumped. So uh, I can't wait for that because hopefully this time next year, I'm, you know, maybe re-updating our Property Nerds podcast photos and maybe get a new new pick there that maybe looks a little bit different than the last batch. So we'll see how we Some go with that. Tanner maybe? Or- I'm already pretty brown, so I probably can't get much tanner, <laughs> but slimmer for sure. Uh, but yeah, thank you everyone, honestly, for tuning in to another year of the Property Notes podcast. This means it's um coming to what, year two, isn't it? So I think like this year, last year, we launched last year, early in the year. So super pumped. This is uh, year two coming to a close soon and it'll be the start of uh, year three for the show next time. But there has been some exciting growth in a few parts. So firstly, this show has been gaining massive, massive downloads. Uh, thank you so much to all of you. I believe we've crossed the 200,000 mark, if not already there, of downloads. And so we are not far off from that, you know, half a million and on our way there. And uh, another exciting bit of news is at Investikit, we've actually launched another podcast. So if you're maybe a fan of what I share on this show and you're keen to tune into what my thoughts are, but maybe with a bit more frequency and get annoyed with my voice a little bit more, and you want to turn from these monthly shows to the weekly shows, check out on Spotify or Apple or whatever you tune into, or even Investigate's website. It's a new podcast called The Investigate Podcast. And if you're wondering what's different between that and the property nerds, well, the property nerds is our go-to space for monthly finance, trends, news, and major research releases like what we're doing in today's show and the last couple of shows. Whereas the Investigate podcast is weekly, a little bit more bite-sized, 15 to 20 minutes, and very, very different things can go on each week. So we go through tips, reflections on our journey, 
concepts, strategies, inviting other people that are part of the investigate team, other guests in terms of external providers of services, just to learn more about what they do, how they're helping their clients in the tax space. So in this space, we get deeper across many different aspects of property investing. And we really move away just from the research and nerdy focus, which we love here, to more of the practical examples, the holding journey, the buying journey, the you know negotiations. negotiations, everything that you can. So if you look at adding both to your favorite shows, then you've got the best of all worlds. You've got tips, tactics, strategies, approach, and you've got the research for my fellow nerds on this show. Exciting. That is super exciting. And and I believe you've already had your first podcast release. Yeah. First two episodes have gone out. I think uh, maybe three episodes now and we're, we're trotting along and we're recording hard and fast and lots of cool guests, lots of cool things going on. The first one was actually a deep dive and screen share as well. So we got them on video too, for anyone awesome. keen to look at them in different ways. And uh, yeah, you can jump on the YouTube channel, Investikit and subscribe to that. It's humble beginnings, couple hundred subscribers, but we're hoping for it to grow thanks to all your support to hit the hundreds of thousands like you have uh, on this show here and take it to new heights. But yeah, it was market cycles, reading them, how to go into them for the last show. So that was pretty cool. Well, obviously having 200 subscribers with the info we're giving, they're going to just get a deeper dive, I guess, on that information. Like you said, it's more strategy and the behind the scenes, it, it seems like, opposed to research. Yeah, so if, if those uh, you know 200k plus downloaders come into the world of Investigate podcast and want to get more of those resources, the week by week nuggets, I'm positive you'll get a lot of value out of this and really check it out. So thank you so much, firstly, for an epic year 2022. We're pumped for 23. There's more coming from the nerds then, but also the announcement of the Investigate show as well. So keen for that. But Lee, you are the finance guru here. And guess what? No surprise, but another interest rate rise. And what's sort of happening in your world of finance? And what are some interesting data that you're seeing? Yeah. So 6th of December, as expected, there has been a further 0.25% cash rate increase. So that's taking it from 285 to 3.1% as the cash rate. Basically, in announcing the decision, the RBA hinted it was likely they're going to make another rate rise. And, you know, in their next policy meeting, which is due to come in February. So, FYI, in January, they're off. That's the only month they take off, probably I'm somewhere off. Um, Bahamas, somewhere. I don't know. Well, we're in Thailand. I wonder where the, the RBA governor goes. Bahamas. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Do you reckon we're in Thailand and he's in our Muay Thai class? And then maybe I get to. Do a bit of a, a kick practice so, or something. So blocking, some <laughs> blocking some like karate. Dude, why'd you increase all these rates on us? And then bam, low kick, <laughs> mid kick. Obviously, in uh, just a joke, I'd never hurt someone, but and I couldn't hurt someone anyway. I'd probably hurt my leg more. This will be the first time. Teddy bear, that. you're a teddy bear. So um, yeah, so that's happened. There was no, I guess, like shocks when that happened. Kind of, we were all expecting that to happen, and so yeah, so the comments are from the RBA. Sorry that the board expects to increase interest rates further over the period ahead. Obviously, there's nothing preset in the due course, but that's what they're talking about. That was an interesting and comment though, Lee, because they said the board expects to increase rates further over the period ahead, but it is not on a preset course. Mm. I call bull. Like you are on a preset course if you're not waiting for the data to come out. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like the data, that it takes months for spending 
to flow it's in okay. the data. Yeah. It takes months for banks to sometimes even apply some of their repayment changes and for it to filter through the households. The banks are telling you this, RBA, like they're saying it literally yeah. in their statements, yet it's like, nope, month after month, we must increase because the data on inflation needs to come through. There Makes needs sense. to be either some very hard and large rate increases and waiting periods, mm. or even if there are small ones, just wait and see. Because- I just don't think they're they're truthful on their preset course comment because it's feeling like a lot of preset course and they're just increasing without waiting for the data to come out. Well, that's true because it takes two to three weeks for the bank to even apply those increases as well Mm. after they're announced. So, yeah, so that's what their comments are. They also mention the size and timing of future interest rates increase will continue to be determined by the incoming data and the board's assessment of the outlook for inflation and the labor market. The board remains resolute in its determination to return inflation to the target and will do what it is takes necessary to achieve that. So if it, essentially inflation is currently at 6.9% compared to RBA's target of 2 to 3%. I think the key for that is 6.9 was coming off a peak in the sevens. So in one of our white papers, we talked about the border opening trends and household fundamentals. And one of them I mentioned around the inflation potentially peaking towards the end of this year. And based on the most recent month's data, that appears to be the case as it moves from an upwards trajectory to a downwards trajectory. Obviously, just one month in, so even I can't make that call. But if the next few months starts to show that change, then of course, that would have been a call that we made that I feel is coming to fruition. So it'll be interesting to see that because that is a key data point that I feel should start to slow over the early to second quarter of next calendar year, which is the inflation rate. April, you're thinking? That's right. Cool. And so when it comes to the variable rates and you know, the lenders, I mean, when do they start applying it? What's been happening on that front? Yeah. So generally it's two to three weeks after the announcement. So by end of this week being the 16th of December, if not the first half of next week, those that 0.25% will be applied to uh, the variable rates for the lenders. Now, some lenders did try to counteract this expected cash rate increase in advance with like a 10 basis points decrease in their variable rates in the lead up to this announcement, but really it's still increasing. So it's still an increase. On the point of the lenders and what they're doing, Lee, you and I were talking offline and we noticed a really interesting change. And we hadn't seen these rates for some time. Places like Westpac, they came out with a a loan loan to value ratio for investors, like people who are doing 70% loans and were giving them special rate introductory offers. We saw that. And then there were other banks that were also introducing some better rates for those introductory period for even investors. Is that something that you're starting to notice a little bit more, even with cashbacks? There seems to be a lot more aggression and lenders fighting for business now, especially with the rates going up. They're trying to do what they can with their margins and do what they can with offers to try and secure business because it seems like they know that the audience and the public is far more conscious because they have to be, right? Of course. Yeah, you have to be full stop with any mortgage or home loan that you have right now because eight consecutive increases now, it's a lot. So so essentially, yes, there are many variable rates being offered that are much lower for lower loan-to-value ratios. We're talking about owner-oc first. So we're talking about mid-fours, high-fours. 
you can get depending on the lender and the LVR and the total aggregate lending, which means not just the one loan that you're bringing to that lender, how many loans in total does that add up to in dollar value that you're bringing to that bank? So they'll look at it individually for that property, how they'll price it, and then they'll price it based off your book size that you're bringing to that bank. That's a good point because you know you over the last month had a lot of inquiries from folks tuning into the show. So thank you all for anyone who reached out. And I'm really glad that you are because this is making a big difference to saving you some money on your mortgages. Mm -hmm. How can they reach out to you, Lee? Just because I know that you've had some special rates, cashbacks, things like that. And also finally, like you said, banks are realizing portfolio value, yes, pricing you for who you are as a customer. As like, a hey, give us client. more money and we'll look after you. It used to not be the case, right? They used to just go, every loan's a loan, everything's a loan, and it's then give you that value. Yeah, they would handle it singularly. But if you want to contact us, the best way is on our website, hillsfinance.com.au. There's a request a callback button. If you click on that, we'll be sure to give you a call. So that's the best way to reach out us at, at us, hillsfinance.com.au. And so what's happening on the lending indicators? I know you love to see the ABS data, see where it's up to. And for everyone who's tuning into the show, you might be going, well, why do these guys keep covering off that same ABS data set again and again and again like clockwork? Well, I've got some cool news for you. We have done a lot of deep dive in what we call moving forward, the timeline of lending. So for example, if you take lending trends and then put a lag on them of about six months, so six months ago's finance acting today for potential prices, and then you flow with it, the price growth line. And you have those two lines together, price and finance. But with a six-month lag on finance, the lines are quite close to each other. That's a simplified term. The more detailed version is me saying that finance is a correlation in its take-up with overall Australian housing market performance. Now, I've said it many times, there's micro areas that will always perform differently, and that's what we hunt and look for at Investigate Buyers Agency to find outperformers year after year, which we do. But the overall national movements of Australia's trend line of median house prices moves very closely with finance data. So that is why you should stay in tune with this data so we can understand the national habits, although a lot of these national habits are Sydney, Melbourne-centric because of their statistical weighting. So in this case, though, it's still good to stay in tune with it and why we keep bringing it up each month on the show. So you can then understand six months out the flow on of this data mm -hmm. because credit is needed. Very few people go out there, Lee, and buy a whole bunch of houses with cash. I'm hoping one day we can be one of those folks that can do that. It'd be pretty hard, but that'd be pretty cool. But no, it is not the norm at all. Everything in housing is reliant on credit as well in order to obtain new properties or a property. So yeah, what's happening on the October data? It's October yeah, ending, right? It's October ending release. So as you can see, that is a delay by a couple of months. So October 22, ABS lending indicators were released. And so the I guess the value of new loan commitments for total housing fell by 2.7%. So this has fallen down to 25.8 billion after a revised fall of 4.4% in September. And that was 17.1% lower compared to a year ago. For owner-occupied housing, this fell by 2.9% to $17.2 billion and was 17.2% lower compared to a year ago. And for investor housing, this fell by 2.2% to 
8.6 billion and was 17% lower compared to a year ago. So pretty much 17% lower across the board, almost. Yeah, so that's a clear sign that it's not just one segment of the group moving. The both owner occupiers and investors have that decline of two to 3%. It's important to remember how serious this is and why I think this will make a big difference in what the banks and the APRA may contemplate in 2023. 2% doesn't sound big, right? Guess what? It's October ending. So what is it going to look like when we come back in January to do right. our podcast for November, December? and, and- Annualized 2% is huge. 25% changes, a quarter reduction in lending take-up. However, with that take-up, we know how much Sydney and Melbourne's and surrounds data flows into it. I've done this so many times. The statistical weighting is huge. That's why we can't use this to represent every market across Australia, but it just tells us the tales of some of the more expensive and bigger cities where naturally their take up of finance is reducing and in turn their prices are reducing. So what can you do with this information? Well, to me, having been an ex-banker, a part of me always thinks of those conversations by the water cooler uh, with the support office. The lovely, lovely support office flashback. There was always talks and this one line used to come up. A group of people would say, our customers. And then a group of people would say, well, you know, for the shareholders. And this for the shareholders always stuck with me. And so I always think of for the shareholders, finance take up, net interest margin, earnings, it all flows together. Now imagine. What do you got to do to bring it back to glory days when three quarters of the biggest bank's earnings comes from net interest margin, right? And so when you think of these large numbers in comparison to say the US where say Bank of America a few years back was about 50%, big difference in how we are in our banking. Like we don't do common shore, as you know, common shore I think is still there, but we don't do uh, CBA's wealth planning division, that started to change. I think they sold the insurance division too. But whatever it was, there was a lot of things taken out of their pool of earnings. And really, it becomes a home lender and only a home lender in a way. And why that's important to talk about here is that I feel in 2023, there is going to be some reflection on assessment rates. And I've mentioned this many times in conversations with clients. Assessment rates work really well when rates are low because you have a buffer on those two and one percent rates that's right that bring you back to long-term averages remember long-term averages where we're at now and we're still working off three percent buffers for assessment rate on top of the actual rate correct but long-term averages were fives you know 10-year 15-year interest rate averages were in the fives and that's where we are typical people are paying fours and fives so total sense hats off to you well done apro three percent buffer best idea ever, 7% assessment rates and back in the day. Great work because you know what? That protected and still protects Australians massively. Delinquency rates are super low, non-existent in Australia. Yes, there's all the talk about the fixed rates coming off next year, but you've got to be kidding yourself if you think that everyone just sits at home and waits till the day out before their fixed rate to make the decision or planning for their family. Mm. People will and have already started thinking of how they adjust. Human nature, like you don't go, you know, let me flog off my house just so I can, you know, go out and have takeaway food or go out to restaurants. You think of all the other things first before your house. Because people are coming off 2% rates for investors. They are going to be jumping 
double. Yeah, refinances, which we'll touch on soon in the data. But where I'm going to with that is that 3% rule and the assessment rates being crazy high, they do not make sense in the current environment. Because you're telling me that you want people assessed on 8 and 9% interest rates? That's right. That's exactly what's happening. I remember when assessment rates first started, and this is when I first started lending. It was 7.25 back then because rates were around that that five yeah. or so for high four months. And they made a smart where change. We are now. Right. And then and then but now we've got a 3% buffer, which is what? Eight, eight to nine percent. Right. right. It just doesn't make sense because we've run all the metrics on housing affordability and most of Australia at 5.5 to 6.5 doesn't sit in the right side of the equation. So if you're going to now test them at 8 to 9%, which I will do as an interesting exercise, mm. I couldn't imagine any market in Australia coming under our undervalued category at 8 to 9%. And so from that perspective, I think 2023 may bring upon some reflections, some review of policies to go, hey, we're inflicting more damages to households by not allowing them to have the freedom and flexibility to move and create a competitive environment amongst lenders and allow households to reset, improve, and even balance the economy versus inflation equation. And they may look at reducing interest rates on the assessment rate piece from maybe three down to two. There are some lenders with a very specific niche that is long, because there are people becoming in what we call mortgage jail now at the moment. They might have quite a decent portfolio, but because of how the assessment rates are and all that, they're capped out for servicing. There are some lenders with um, a special niche coming through to help with these clients who are in mortgage jail. And essentially, they'll look at dollar-for-dollar refinancing because especially for these clients coming off fix, they're going jumping to double, if not more, in a rate difference. Um, they will do a refinance as long as you had the same loan for 12 months or more and you have a credit score of 600 plus, um, which I would say is the majority. And then, yeah, they will do a dollar for dollar refinance without any income servicing or anything. They won't look at serviceability of the loan. They'll refinance you and give you better rates. Obviously, dependent on loan to value ratio, there are pricing rates better for people on a 60% or lower LVR and versus 70% and 80%. But that's something out there at the moment as well. So that's a really good point, Lee. And anyone you know, reaching out to you on lee.paliwal at Hills Finance or if not, jump onto your website for the contact form you said. So on the note of assessment rates, that's my call for 2023, making it here that in 2023, if the interest rates don't decline in the first half or at some point in the first half to three quarters, we will see some revision to the assessment rates. So banks can have a fairer assessment to people's home loans that will naturally bring back some demand on the finance side and allow people to move. Now, speaking of people to move, what's happening on the external refinance data, Lee? Because refinancing is an interesting story Mm -hmm. because when you put people into a different position from rising costs, behaviors change, same way it happened in COVID. Mm. COVID hit, people weren't sure of what was going to happen. What did they do? We saw the refinance boom of our lives, right? What's happening now on the refinance side? So October 2022 data um, for external refinancing. So for total housing, this fell by 1.1% to 17.8 billion, but that was 9.7% higher compared to a year ago. Good point, right? So that's 
higher refinancing now in comparison to a year ago when yes. interest rates were lower. Yes. Which means buyers are being proactive. And this Correct. is why I strongly believe this finance cliff. Mm. Remember, every year there's some bullcrap cliff and they've been wrong every year. Yeah. Interest only cliff, fixed rate cliff, the 2.0 interest only cliff. For four years, this in- I remember 2018 in CBA, that was happening. That was, that was talked about. And for the next four years, we're now in 2022, every year there's some new cliff that media talks about. Mm. Well, next year's cliff that they're talking about is fixed rates coming off. People are already, who are not even part of that fixed rate circle, but many people are already considering refinancing, restructuring. And I am positive many people are also pulling out equity. Oh, big time. increase their buffers. Is that a fair comment? Big time. Yeah, of course. If they can access it now, because the the idea is what if the cash rate keeps increasing and assessments remain the same, your access to your equity becomes less and less from a borrowing capacity point of view. So people who can access it now are doing so and obviously at the same time reviewing the current lending. And that's the part many economists miss and many predictions go wrong because they forget the human mentality, the human psychology and behavior that comes a part of property investing because it is our shelter. It is where we live. Um, you know, 6.5 out of every 10 properties are someone's house that they live in. And so as a result, there is proactive behaviors here happening where, as Lee mentioned, 9.7% higher finance take up for refinancing, which is clearly people ahead of time as interest rates are rising, figuring out solutions and wanting to keep their finances, their households in check. And that is what I love to hear. Proactiveness amongst smart and savvy property owners to make sure that the livelihood for them, their budget, their family, their wealth is all kept in check. And this will surprise many people going into next year's so-called cliff, where many people prepare themselves already, many people adjust their lifestyle leading up. Obviously, as adjustments occur, inflation naturally slows because people slow spending elsewhere. People may have already considered selling beforehand. So it's not this press button explode when trend comes up and everyone sells at that given time. So I think that we'll be pleasantly surprised in a good way to see that this data is not going to be showing what the doomsday predictors talk about. And on the owner-occupier side, Lee, 1.3% fall is not a huge amount. And that remained close to the all-time high of refinancing. So we're at all-time highs for refinancing amongst owner-occupiers. That's right. And for investors, it was practically the same at just um, neutral numbers. So that's it for our finance updates. That's some really, really interesting data, Lee, and it shows clearly that there's still some more rate rises to happen, but there is a clear proactive behavior amongst households and also banks mm-hmm. to win business and households to secure financial position. However, on the macro side of things, that reduction at a 2 to 3% reduction in finance take-up should do two things. One is it means that over the next six months, there'll still be some markets continuing their decline just because of those finance trends moving out six months means that there are some markets who are still going to have their declines early to next you know, quarter or first two quarters of next year. But second, what it does mean is that lots of uh, you know, intervention might be planned over the next calendar year for 2023. Potentially assessment rates. That's my thought. So that would be, that would make sense. We'll actually. see where that goes. It is. Yeah. 
we'll, well, hopefully we'll see how we go. So, well, speaking of seeing how it goes, we've got some trends. Yeah, so 2022 has seen the end of an unprecedented national property boom during the pandemic. And the national dwelling value peaked in February and has been trending down since then. And the value decline got worse as the RBA started the back-to-back cash rate increases since um, starting in May. So most people, including the media, call it a nationwide property downturn. So essentially, with that being said, I guess the next thing we want to discuss is actually regarding Investigate's most recent white paper, which you guys have just released, same day as the cash rate announcement on the 6th of December. And that can be found on their website, investikit.com.au. I think it's forward slash white papers. So yeah, the white paper they've just released is seven trends savvy investors don't want you to know in 2023. So tell me, <laughs> there's seven trends. Seven, seven special trends. And did you like how, you know, I thought I'd get all marketing mode in there and and try and do the old reverse, you know, reverse psychology. It's my first time trying that. You know, seven trends savvy investors don't want you to know now. Nah, you know, yeah. We don't want you to know on, on these trends. So that means you should want to know and now you should click on it and you should download it because I told you you don't want to know it. Anyway, um, but yeah, trend one, Australia's property market is made up of many sub-markets each having its ups and downs. This is not even a trend, and I don't even know why I call it trend one, but it is something for me to mention as a starting point to analysis of trends. And that's because recency bias is all over the place in Australian housing markets right now. We have all been under the spell that due to the last two to three years, we are under the assumption that property prices grow everywhere at the same time by the same amount. Because the spell of the national property boom has done that. I want you to know right now, two things. It's very rare. The last time that behavior of multi-city or almost all city boom in one direction was between 2000 and 2005. And the second thing is, it's over. We are not all booming at the same time in the same direction. And all it takes is to visit CoreLogic's most recent research report around the November ending index, so 30th November ending data, and you can see their top 10 statistical area three locations across each state. Firstly, what I'm super proud of is that almost all of our client buying locations are in some of those top 10, and almost all of our locations that we bought in grew by double digits this calendar year. So that's a huge amount of you know, success there that I'm super proud of. Uh, now, why that's important to read that report is you will see a ton of locations that grew double digits this year. And they give you the names. Check them out. Eight interest rate rises, ain't mean a thing. Still double digit rises. But then there are also many regions that declined. Like for example, Sydney's top 10 areas, top 10 meaning best performance, were all declining locations, but they just declined the least. It clearly shows you how centric some areas are to these price movements in different directions. That is the key part of trend one, and you can deep dive into some case studies that we've got. Trend two, historically, sharp declines in consumer sentiment always tend to recover quickly to the long-term average. This is quite important to note. 
what it simply means and what data you can reflect on is that in trend two, we have the Australian Consumer Sentiment Index in our white paper. And Australia's Consumer Sentiment Index, if you drew the line in line with, say, Greater Melbourne's house price, there's a lot of close movements in their lines together from the trend analysis that we did. And with sentiment, right now, it's not pretty. Sentiment in Australia, get this, is lower than COVID, is lower than the GFC. So people are feeling pretty crappy about their personal finances now in comparison to last year. And so why that's important to note is for two reasons. Number one is down, so it's not good. But number two is they tend to recover quickly to their long-term averages. And looking at these trends and charts that we show you in this white paper, in 2000s, they declined. In 2005, they declined. 2008, fell off a cliff. 9 and 10 rocketed back up. 11 and 12 fell off again. Back up again in 13. Massive down in 17, 18. Then back up again post-COVID and back down again. So there's times of up and downs in these trends, but they tend to recover pretty quickly. So that's the next trend to show. So trend number three you've got here is government's financial assistance to property buyers can only boost property price growth. So I had a quick look at the report, obviously, and the table that you completed showed Australia's first home buyer assistance measures in comparison with seven other countries. So you've got Australia, Canada, Finland, Germany, Ireland, Singapore, UK, and Netherlands. And Australia is the one country that is spending heavily on the cash grants and tax concessions for first home buyers. So yeah, talk through a bit about that and obviously this trend. Yeah, I, this is has to be one of the funniest trends because sadly, the government seemed to keep thinking that stimulus for first home buyers helps affordability or provides solutions for the affordability issues. They are sugar rushes. And we've got so much data that shows that. They are sugar rushes. A select group of first home buyers have their dreams achieved. Short term vote playing games that help generate success in people's campaigns or election campaigns and post-election. And then from there, what happens is that the sugar rush ends and the prices catch up to the increased demand added to the market. And why that's a very timely thing to consider for 2023 is we've got a lot of interesting things coming up. So we've got things that are like our New South Wales stamp duty waiver for first-home buyers. And it only takes you to look at that price cap to see what the potential is. We have been used to in Australia some pretty poorly adjusted price caps. Like example, Sydney might have an average or median price of 1 mil, 1.1 mil, and everything was 600K grants or 700K grants. So it just made no sense. But stuff like this for the stamp duty waiver, these price caps are being increased substantially and well above median prices. And that's going to unlock a lot of demand from first home buyers. So Get ready to check out 2023's first home buyer demand. Obviously, they're being shot in the foot with interest rates, assessment rates, borrowing capacity, so forth. That's not helping them. But this other side will definitely unlock another core problem, Australia's housing demand, which is the gateway 
to buying property. The upfront cost, the government cost, they're a big barrier to entry. So why this trend is important to point out is for A, a lot of activity happening right now in Australia around government financial assistance for property buying. But B, we are eluded, tricked into believing that these are affordability solutions. No, the sugar rushes for affordability, but they end up being demand boosters. So we will see demand pick up in many parts of Australia due to the assistance that continues to stem from our governments as a key trend for 2023. Awesome. So trend four was uh, job market activity has a significant correlation with property value growth. We've talked about that many, many times on this podcast. So yeah, obviously there is a significant correlation between the job market activity and the property market activity, i.e. the more active the job market, the more active the property market, and therefore the more likely the property prices will grow. So that's your trend for? Economics. That's the true economics piece there. Supply so and uh, the old oh, Phil, <laughs> Phil Tarrant, man, your good old supply demand is making a comeback. If you're going to, I hope he tunes into the show just so he can, uh, you know, about his lovely supply and demand response to whenever whenever conversations get complex, feels like, yep, supply and demand, Arjun, supply and demand. So <laughs> love you, Phil. Uh, but the topic here of job market, it's not as simple as first the unemployment rates, right? Unemployment rates are a measure. But what it is, is it an overall review of economic activity. So we look at infrastructure per capita, we look at job advertisements, we look at types of infrastructure from their pre to during to post-construction or post-release jobs activity. And then we also consider you know, airport passenger movement, tourism dollars, indexes around certain food indexes and sugar price or things like that as an example that we raised for the city of Bundaberg in this case. There's various data points that lead to healthy economies. The main thing here is that one thing that we continue to avoid in conversation, and and not us, but I mean the mainstream media, is how strong our economies are, even after the cost of money increasing, even after the government's funny money during COVID winning off, many, yeah, many, many uh, economies still remain in good shape. Now, don't get me wrong, that will change. Because our markets have always been, and history always shows us, a seesaw. There is no perfect market forever. It is a seesaw. And the inflation data to pull that down requires disruption to the economy in spending, hiring. These decisions slow when it's an engineered contraction of the economy to reduce inflation. That's what's happening. So that was one thing. The second thing is borders. Borders opened. I predicted in previous white papers that the borders opening over time will lead to an increase, a slight tick up in unemployment rates because yes, there's many people that come over, job secured, ready to come over, but there's also many people who come in seeking jobs. And as they come in seeking jobs, there will be more competition. That means there are more people who miss out and unemployment rate naturally ticks up. Not saying that's a bad thing for this trend. What I'm trying to say here is that many markets still remain in good shape, resilient, and healthy property markets and are likely to continue doing well in 2023 because their local economies have remained robust, full of all these positive signals, and Australia's total number of job ads continues to boom. We've charted all these trends and they're sitting there on this white paper, investigate.com.au, 
seven trend savvy investors don't want you to know in 2023. Oh, love the marketing spin. Don't want you to know. And, uh, you know, check that out. And yeah, that will show you what's happening from that perspective. But also where it's weak is likely to be weaker economies and in turn, weaker property markets in general. There's obviously outlier cases. So someone can come and say, no, unemployment doesn't equal that. It's not as simplified as that, but that's the main trend. There are many local job markets that will do well and continue the strong performance, but due to our engineered slowdown through the change of pricing of money, naturally, some economies will tick back and contract and unemployment pick up, businesses slow down their decisions. That's what they're trying to do. It's just about finding the balance. Well, that brings us to trend number five, which you touched on briefly just before, but trend number five is immigration is expected to be stronger in the coming decade, resulting in increasing demand. Yeah. So we touched on immigration's downside, which is obviously unemployment rates ticking up a little bit. Uh, that's okay though. It's just trying to find its part you know, journey to balance, I guess, but it does increase long-term demand in housing markets. We are seeing a huge return in terms of immigration and the borders over the recent quarter, and the forecasts are for them for them to continue to get stronger, especially with the caps that have changed, and also with how things are down under. And so, from this perspective, what it means is the rental demand is typically expected to continue its surge. And that is scary news, by the way. Like we have an almost all time, pretty much matching or close to our all time record of low vacancies. And it is in clear crisis. The rental market is now going to be extremely stretched with many more migrants coming into Australia. And that will cause further rent rises. Our predictions were between eight and 12 or eight and 11 point something percent in rent rises across the nation for 2023. So that is one key part. However, I refer to the study quite often. It was a really great study by the Graded Institute. And what they did was they reviewed the trends of migrants and that movement to home ownership. It is not like the media portrays it where everyone falls, you know, comes off a plane and goes, hey, I've got my passport. I've got this you know, suitcase, what a cash, and I'm going to come up to an auction and you know, buy all these houses from Australians and you're never going to get a house. Don't listen to that crap. No such thing. It doesn't happen like that. On average, in this study, migrants rented for four years to 4.5 years on average. They are here to settle down, find their communities, find their they education. Other people that have, with a family or friends who have migrated first and they come together and, right. and so on. Whatever it may be, even those who come in alone. The main thing here yeah. is that they don't come off buying. The rental market will be the first to feel the demand. And as time goes on, the house market will feel the demand. But I think it might happen sooner in places like New South Wales because now the barriers are being removed. You know, standard duty, first time home buyers. So uh, it might show up even sooner in the coming years. So expect 2024 to 2028 to be quite interesting mm. because that migrant behavior may start to change from just renting to even considering buying. So one of the other data snippets that was under trend number five that I like was obviously with regards to immigration. And so Australia's population growth and immigration number are relatively high compared to the other developed countries. So the two charts that you've shown is the population growth rates um, of the 20 most developed countries as of 2021 and the proportion of immigrants in their total population. So Australia makes the top Five in both lists demonstrating the significant contribution of immigrants to Australia. 
definitely. It's such an important piece here and something I'm so proud of as a as an immigrant, but maybe I don't count as an immigrant because I'm across the ditch in Kiwi, well, Kiwi land. I'm an immigrant as well, if you are. Yeah, true. Uh, that's an interesting one. Let us know. Do us Kiwis count as immigrants or are we just uh, the cousins uh, from across <laughs> the ditch that, you know, just... From the sheep land. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you want to call us. This is your time, Australia, to call us whatever you want. We'll take it. But whatever it is, we, we enjoy being here, us Kiwis. And the main thing is, uh, yeah, it's a place that I feel so proud of to be here in Australia because of the diversity we have, the impact we have, um, the communities we build, the doors we open, the things we share, the values we share and and accommodate and all these different things that come up. I'm yeah, super proud to call Australia home, but definitely it's it's obviously a key importance. Um, immigrants as a percentage of total population as at 2020, Australia was ranked five in the world. So we can almost consider ourselves an expat nation, can't we? But uh, except that many people don't come here and go back, they come here and and stay. Uh, and stay. So that's the cool part. Uh, so now we talk about trend six. Trend six, Australia is experiencing a housing supply crunch that won't be resolved anytime soon. This is important. If you're wanting to track recovery of house prices, it's clearly shown with two metrics in many cities that are doing well. Affordability in comparison to the repayments on mortgages at certain interest rates versus income. So that was one key thing that we noticed when we back-tested and reviewed data. And the second thing was the housing supply crunch, where those housing supply components were really tight from both rent and for sale combined with affordable markets. They tended to dominate the list of 2022 growth markets in Australia. So what the main thing to take out from this point is we might see a, a bit of a jump that might give people this false sense of oversupply in some stock. And this is the new stock, right? We had BIS Oxford Economics chart out some interesting stuff. And due to the big sugar rush in building from the approvals, as the prices start to balance out, they might start to turn to completions because one day they've got to complete. So we might go through the small period of oversupply and some new builds. But that trend line drops down substantially and it goes into a huge undersupply from 2024 onwards. And this was both from BIS Oxford, ABS data, also looking at macro plan and NHFIC. So some interesting trends from the 2024 to 25 year, we start to see some heavy undersupply all the way from 25 to 2030. Now, that does mean on the new build side, you know, obviously it won't kick in that little oversupply until those completions start to come up, which they haven't really. But the trend lines are showing that we go back to a pretty deep undersupply again off the back of the issues that are happening with the building components and how much the trends have dropped. So when you now move over to the supply analysis, the other thing is the rental market. Vacancy rates remain super low. And Australia's trends for listings for sale in comparison to population growth, whether you compare it to three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, the listing trend is declining. The population trend is increasing. There's a clear mismatch there that needs to be resolved at some point soon. And lastly, we review inventory levels. Whilst many markets in our major cities have inventory levels recovered, uh, they are decreasing again. And in many other cities, they remain below three to four months of stock and are in extreme undersupply. So what this means is that there's a clear flaw in the market across Australia in many regions, not all, and that's the key part, going back to trend one. 
where the undersupply is going to put a clear floor for where prices can fall. And for those areas where prices are growing, they may continue to grow until the supply is resolved. I don't see the rental uh, supply issues being resolved anytime soon, uh, but I do see some alleviation of pressure due to completions of constructions that will come through in some areas. But that's not long lasting enough just due to where building approvals are trending again after that sugar rush of home builder and other things. So that kind of almost encompasses trend six and seven because of trend seven, it was about rental vacancy rates dropping to the lowest point in more than a decade, Australia's rental market being on fire. So just to recap it all, rental vacancy under supply, housing under supply, immigration, the demand that will flow through looking at job market activities, key thing to watch out for across sub-markets. Government financial assistance is only going to boost demand with a temporary affordability solution. Consumer sentiment has fallen to super lows, below GFC, below consumer sentiment from COVID, but history shows a quick recovery. So it's likely at 2023, based on history, that it may recover. Worst case, 24. And finally, trend number one, the most important trend to finish this episode on, is that Australia's property market is made up of many sub-markets. A big part of why Lee and I purchased five properties this year was because we found those sub-markets that would do well, and they have done well, even in the face of rising costs and interest rates. So I encourage you all to get deep in your analysis, really look at those sub-markets. And if you're Wanting some help with your analysis, just reach out, investikit.com.au. We're a buyer's agency that helps many investors get to scale their portfolios. And this happens from short-term capital growth without compromising long-term results through risk management. That's it from us at The Property Nerds. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to- Yeah, Merry Christmas and listening to our rants on finance, the RBA (laughs) and so forth. And hopefully- um, You're on a beach somewhere winding down for the year and- ready to bring in 2023. And I'll be due for a January update uh, on Lee's kicks to see if she's still got that black belt, <laughs> you know, roundhouse or uh, uh, I don't even know the names of Taekwondo kicks. I'm just going to go with the Muay Thai style when I go there and it'll be interesting to see how we how we go with this fitness retreat in camp. Game over.